I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast, where we explore the world of Belgian beer. This year, Brussels beer café Moederlambique celebrates 10 years under its current ownership by hosting 10 special events with invited breweries over 10 months. Cantillon, Tilcan, Duranca, De La Seine, Verzette. The list of breweries involved demonstrate the high regard in which the bar is held and the circles in which its employees run. Largely due to its curated beer selection and its commitment to quality service and dispense, the original café in Saint-Gilles and the city centre spin-off in Fontenasse have become destinations for beer lovers not only in Brussels, but from all over Belgium and the rest of the world. My guest this evening is one of the owners of Moederlambique, Jean Humler. Originally from France, Humler is a warrior for independence and a champion of small producers and natural products. For him, the people who make a beer and what he describes as the soul behind it are just as important as the liquid in the glass. In the interview, we talk about Brussels, its messiness, its energy, and the changes it has undergone since Humler moved to Belgium. We also talk about the challenges the bar has faced and how Humler views various groups within the Belgian beer world, from Horal to the Trappists, and from the Belgian family brewers to gypsies and contractors. Humler has rubbed up against what he calls the industry on more than one occasion, and he admits himself that he loves the fight. Some may think that he's too uncompromising, too hardline, perhaps too unfair. No one, however, can deny that he believes passionately in what he is saying. And whether you agree with him or not, it's impossible not to be completely engaged. Sit back, listen and enjoy Jean Humler of Moederlambique. I remember when I fall in love with Lambic. I remember the bottle, I remember where I was sitting, and I remember exactly what I drink. What was it and where were you sitting? I was sitting in a restaurant a few hundred meters from here. It's called Café des Sports, but it's not sports, but sport like mushroom. And it's a mushroom restaurant. And it was uh, Lou Pepe Creek 2002 with my wife. And uh, it was so good that the restaurant was not selling a lot of this beer. He had it as a menu, and I think that we drink probably 60 or 80% of the bottles they had in the restaurant because it was so good. Then we were keep drinking it every single time we had a dinner there. So, and, and was that sort of shortly after you had arrived from France to Belgium? or uh, Yeah, it's very easy. I arrived in September 2001. It's easy to remember. Yeah. So, because you're not Belgian, of course, you're French. Yeah. Uh, which, which part of France are you from? Uh, east of France, from Strasbourg. Strasbourg. And is that a particularly strong beer region? Yes, it used to be. We had a tradition of beers, but I, I couldn't tell you. I would be. It would be. Uh, I would be ashamed to tell you what I was drinking when I was a student. Okay. So, so you're basically the love of beer was was kind of 
lit or reignited when you came to Belgium? When I came in Belgium, I was drinking the shitty beers that everyone drinking, Duvel, Chimay, and so on. After, my taste changed when I started to work here. So I worked first as a barman on Sunday, and more and more, and I met other people, started to visit breweries, and so... So it was working as a barman, as an employee in Mutterlambic yeah. before you, you yeah. were involved in management? That's almost three yeah. years before. It was almost like a kind of a, a schooling in, in, in beer and... Uh, yeah, but at this time it was really different because we had everything on the menu. So we had like 400 different beers from Lev to Duvel for, to the Disney Lambic with banana flavor and uh, peach flavor. Mm -hmm. I will not tell you name, but you probably know what kind of beer it was. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but slowly, one of my first beer after the Lambic, I, was, I fell in love. It was a double X bitter from the rank. Double X bitter, it was like, uh, and it's still, I think that it's still my beer. Yeah. It's a little bit too strong for me. 6.2 is a little bit too strong to be a session beer. Yeah. But if you, are, if you, if you drink like a sip of double X bitter, sometimes like, a, this is really good. Yeah. When you taste it, it's really good. Of course, after you have season for double X bitter, it's better in November, December, January, when you have, well, at the beginning of uh, hop season. After, when it's come to June, July, August, sometimes it's a little bit tired mm -hmm. because it's the ways they're making the beer and working with um, uh, hops leaves, it's uh, not that easy, but it's uh, bluffing. A double X bitter in good condition when it's fresh, it's stunning. Why Belgium? Why did you come to Belgium? I mean, you I've came first as a... As a as a barman in, no, a, in, a, no, in no. a cafe? I came, no, I came uh, with a bag, two socks, and uh, two T-shirts. Two Just, uh, I need to get away from home. Yeah. So why, why Belgium? Why this? Uh, because I got some friends in Belgium. So I was in a, an open house. So, uh, yeah, very crazy house. I lived here for two years and a half, and are still really good friends of mine. And uh, after, yes, I moved and uh, I did a lot of stupid jobs uh, coming from France. And as I'm not fluent in Flemish, I'm still not, but now it's easier. Uh -huh. At the beginning, it was not that easy. So I did a, a phone call for BMW. I worked in a discotheque uh, till 7 o'clock in the morning in Leuven. Okay, okay. Next to Stella. So I know that Stella is really a smelly beer. Because okay. <laughs> you were there to smell it. I worked next to the factory and it was smelling. Um, so, yes, I did another and after I started to work here. So, but, but, but Brussels, has, Brussels has become your home now. Yeah, it when, is. What were your first impressions when you arrived in Brussels of the city? Uh, city is about friends. It's about people you meet. After, some people will enjoy a city because it's beautiful. For example, Bruges in Belgium, it's beautiful. But it's boring. So uh, Ghent is leaving. Bruges is just a city for tourists. It's for postcards, not, for, not to live there. Brussels, people in Brussels are really, really nice. It's, it's uh, a city that has got a lot of energy. A lot of energy, very open-minded, uh, very relaxed also. I used to live in Paris before. I lived in Vienna in Austria. So it's, it's uh, 
a capital, but with one million people living. It's a village, uh, atmosphere, humor, good food, good friends, and uh, so that's everything. After, it's a little bit messy. I think that's, it, it is quite messy, isn't it? Because it's got the kind of the Bruxelles, it's got the Flemish, the Walloon, it's got the international community as well. And that's, I guess, is part of its character that, that, yeah. that all gives it that. It's a little bit messy, a little bit dirty, but really charming. So that's, uh, that's how Brussels is for Now me. that's, you know, you consider it your home. It's, 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 it's uh, where you live and it's where you'll probably stay. Probably, yeah. I'm, I'm, or maybe you haven't thought about it, I don't know. No, 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 I'm happy in Brussels. So maybe I, I will move in 10, 15, 20, 25 years. If one day I get bored of my job, I will just change and I will do something else. So, but so far I'm, I'm really happy and uh, I have uh, really good friends, uh, people I love here and still have a lot of fun in the city. So, When you first came, was Brussels a good destination for beer lovers? Honestly, because so much has changed, you know, look at the last three or four years. Yeah, but... Maybe that wasn't on your radar uh, at all. Like five months ago, someone uh, bring me a menu from Moodalambic from 1986. Uh -huh. He stole it when he was a student in the neighborhoods. And I have it downtown in the center. I forget about it this evening. But if you read that menu, it's... It, it shows us how the things have changed. Think about United States and the end of the 80s. Think about the first pioneer in the United States. Think about the Belgian menu in 1986. It's like Ugarden, uh, Italian beer is Peroni, Nastra Azzurro, American beer in the menu. So. American beer is, was, I think it was Anchor, Budweiser, Miller. That was the international beer selection. Mm -hmm. For Ireland, it was Guinness and uh, Tsingtao, all the big brands from everywhere. Yeah. So, and it was 30 years ago. So if you had, I don't have a menu from 1996, but I started to work, I think, in 2004. So it was totally different. At this time, why Double X Bitter and Guldenberg was so popular were so popular when we started in 2007? Because they were the only one. Yeah, they were filling a gap that we had no nothing like a, a Pelel at this time. Having like we have now noisy Pelel at this time, we would have sold. I don't know. We would have got strike in the city because. But I mean, I think a lot of. Um, Beer people in other countries that are, you know, quite advanced would find that difficult to believe because they look to Belgium as this kind of place of, you know, great diversity. And I guess it was maybe it was a little bit different back then. No, it was not. The grass is always greener elsewhere. So uh, at this time, uh, Belgium had the market was controlled at 99.9% by the industry, everywhere. But still, we had a couple of nice breweries, a lot of different styles, a few very small breweries that were barely surviving. So, for example, the Blogie, they brewed less than, I think, 200, 300 hectoliters for 
30 years, less than 400 hectoliter, a couple of beers. Mm -hmm. 300 hectoliter, it's yeah. nothing. Yeah. Now they are bringing 2,000 hectoliter. It's only the like last three or four years. When Nino uh, released the double X beater, I think it was 1996, more or less, yeah. he said, other brewers said that beer is amazing. It's too bitter, you can't sell it. Yeah, you can sell it. Yeah. And uh, finally, he said, I don't give a shit. That's the beer I want to drink. That's the beer I want to drink. If I don't sell it, I have another job. This is a part-time activity. Yeah. That's it. He told me, like, one month ago when it was the, the party with him, we were in a very nice restaurant, and he told me, when we started the brewery, where they are now in 2001-2, he said, I would never have thought that we were going, would going so far. It's, it was impossible at this time. Yeah. Why? Because the market was stuck, blocked by the industry. That's why I'm pissed off now, especially by United States customers. They don't give a shit when InBev is buying another company. Mm -hmm. For them, it's the same. No, Goose Island is not a craft beer. Mm -hmm. Come on. Mm -hmm. That's how they kill the Belgian market. The Belgian market almost died to that kind of stuff. That was InBev policy for 30 years, buying opponent, buying opponents. Now, they are doing it worldwide. In Italy, the day they bought Del Borgo, I called France, Manuele in Roma. <laughs> I called Stockholm. I called said, guys, we have to move. So we were not ready. And if I have some time this year, I hope I can get a group of people to get ready for the next strike. We have to strike back. That's how they destroyed Belgium, buying breweries. As soon as someone is get, getting better, buying it, buying it. To do what? Produce the same shit everywhere. So it has no soul. And is, is your frustration or maybe your anger directed at those in the industry? Um, because, I mean, surely the people that, you know, don't know that much about beer that are drinking... Those they drinkers. do. You, you were one of those people a while ago, right? And you didn't know where your beer was coming from. Now, you've learned a lot since you've... No, no. It's... Uh is, your, is, is your anger about the people that have sold onto EB InBev or is it with, you know, the other people that have let it happen? It's, it's not being anger. It's being sad. They don't know that in French we say the worm is in the apple. If you want to have diversity, if you want to have a lot of different good beers, a lot of people working in the craft beer business, we have to pay attention. Why? Because the last 24 months, they bought more or less probably 20 to 25 breweries. Duvel Morgat bought one. Heineken bought some. InBev bought a lot. Carlsberg bought some. Bavaria. Bavaria with the Molen. Today and they bought. And Palm. And Palm. Yeah, but Palm was already the industry for me, so. But what, what will happen to those breweries? Of course, at the beginning, it's like. Ooh, it's nice. We open them new markets. But after, do you really think that uh, Abbey InBev producing 750 million hectoliters, their job is to do something for the beer? No. 
The job is to make money. If tomorrow, tomorrow they have to put corn in the beer, they will do it. Ah, they are already doing it. But if tomorrow they have to buy cheaper ingredients, they will do it. The, the goal is to control the markets. And I remember five years ago we said about the American craft beer that the industry wasn't able to face it. They couldn't handle it. And now they found a way back in their old stuff, what they have done in Belgium during the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Kill your opponent. Kill your opponent, buying it. So an offer is an offer. Del Borgo was a crazy, crazy brewery. Del Borgo produced amazing uh, beers. Leonardo is a great brewer, but I'm not sure about the numbers, so I will not tell it, but the number is insane. It's probably more than 10 times the value of the brewery. So so you're suggesting that they're not buying it for the value of the brand, they're buying it to get into that market and to also kill off some of that competition? Now in Italy, they are sending letters to the bar owners. We give you money, remove all the other beers. We have now a craft beer, Del Borgo. So the goal is probably to go, Del Borgo to go from 10 or 15,000 hectoliter to a million hectoliter within a few years. But of course, it won't be the same beer, it won't be the same energy. So they are doing festivals, they are promoting. Now they got the money behind them. But for me, it's not personal. I still have, uh, it's in between. I don't blame Leonardo, really. But still, it's an iPhone on our back. He betrayed us. And others will fall down. And if we don't pay attention, again and again, we lose breweries. I'm scared one day they might brew some breweries on the West Coast, some very important one. What happened if one day they bought Sierra Nevada? What will happen to the American craft beer market? It's going to be very hard because it's very important. And I know that he's a great guy. He will, but maybe one day he sounds... We get the brewery. Yeah, but that's a kind of that's a good question. I mean, is there an understanding about why people would sell out if they have perhaps no succession plans, if they feel that they've worked hard enough for a cash payout, or are you kind of more hard line and say, look, it's it's too important. It's more important than 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 what you what you feel. Of course, it's it's very important. It's but do you understand wh- why some of them would ha- take those decisions? I understand why. But I think they don't get it. Money is not everything. Leonardo, he, he cried when he sold this brewery because he had to give a phone call. The phone call was to Jean Van Roy. He was invited to do Quintessence. Uh, Quintessence. And Jean Van Roy told him, Inbev will never enter in my, in my brewery. I'm sorry. And, that, and then he understood how far he went. Of course... For most people, it's the same. Whatever it is, it's a beverage, it's a beer. But there is something behind the beer. There is a soul, and there, is, there are people. So there's, no, there's, there's, there's no, no room for kind of the argument that some, uh, the investment that a, that a company like that can bring can give the brewery the opportunity to do new things or different things? No, but honestly... 
do you, do, do you still believe the Holy Father do exist? This is not the Mickey Mouse world. This is a real world. This is a, a world of money. They bought Goose Island to make a barrel, a mass barrel aging project. The goal is to make a high value beer for the American market and probably to a million barrel a year or two million barrel a year. They are not investing money for the beauty, for the taste of the beer. They are investing money because they want to have their cash back, but not one time, ten times. When you see Rob and Jason from Alagash, you said that you had an interview with them. Yeah. When you visit Alagash, when you see a little bit, a little church on the sides with a cool sheep, they are not making sour beer for money. They are not making the razor gum for money. They are making the razor gum because it's their passion. And when you taste it, it's bluffing. It's a great beer. And of course, they are selling the Alagash white, which is a really good wheat beer, in order to be able yes, to yes. play you're not, with you're them. Not, you're not saying that uh, breweries can't be commercial. You know, they, they have a passion and a soul, but they should also make money, right? I'm paying my bills. We have 30 employees working in Mudalambic if we count everyone. We have to pay everyone every month. I have to charge my beers. Sometimes people said that it's expensive. Yeah, of course, because we have to pay everything. And it's not because I want to, to drive in a, in a high-speed car. And uh, no, it's not for hooker, cocaine, and huge cars. Well, speaking of your expensive beers, I think you should get one, and we should, uh, you should choose one, and we should share yeah, it. thirsty. Yes, let's do it. Even if it's... Your, your, your choice. So we are drinking a creek from Cantillon. So it's uh, the cask version, so it's very fruity. So when we started in 2006, we asked Jean uh, from Cantillon uh, to not make a special blend. When he's doing the regular creeks, the one you will find in battle, it's a pure creek, so 300 grams of fruit a liter, blended with a sort of lambic for the refermentation. As we were working with hand pumps, uh, we worked with flat beers, so we worked with a pure one. The goal was to have something fruity, very fruity, and to make an opposition with the fake fruits from other lambic producer. So when you smell and when you taste it, you taste that it's real fruit. And uh, if you taste a decent alembic, it will be sweetened and it will be an aroma. So that's why we are working with something on the fruit. So the one we have on cask is always very fruity uh, and it's a goal. It's a purpose is to be fruity. Even if I will prefer something a little bit older, like a one, two, three, four, five years old, Lupepe or one or two years old regular creek. The balance will be better between the lambic and the fruits. You've had kind of this really good relationship with Cantillon, with the family, with the brewery, and you kind of have a, you know, you can get um, interesting beers from them and you can sort of serve them regularly. Did that go back to when you were working as a barman or when did your relationship with, with Cantillon begin? 
I don't really know, but probably when I was a barman, I, I did a lot of visits at the brewery, and most people... Uh, it's something that is not happening in one day. That's a relationship we build together. But uh, Jean-Pierre, his father, he never tasted his beer on keg. Never. It's not true of flying. So when we were the first one to pour the gas on tap, he tasted the beer was producing... For the first time. On for the first time. And that was a special moment for him. I don't know if it was a special moment, but as a special moment, it was the first time a bar in Belgium worked with Cantillon. Of course, a lot of people worked with Cantillon, but like having a couple of bottles at the menu is the first one someone put the brewery in front and said, OK, guys, you have to try this beer. You have to taste it. How many times? One day I remember one of my barman told me, how can you do it? I heard you 25 times today explaining what is a traditional lambic. We had to fight back 25 or 30 years of uh, beer industry. That was when before I was a little bit, you said, anger about Abbey InBev because they destroyed the lambic. Not only them, Lindemans with their freaking peach beer, and I will not say the other name because after I will be killed in front of the streets by shotguns <laughs> because it's a huge it's a huge business for them. But in Belgium, if you propose a creek in a menu, people will expect something sweetened, sweet with a flavor. So we had for years and years to say no, a creek, a traditional creek is not sweet. A traditional creek is a little bit acidic and fruity, but it cannot be sweet. If it's sweet, it's either sweetened or pasteurized and with uh, candy, sugar, whatever you can add. So we had to fight back to get the customers. And still, we didn't change the Belgian customers. We are just a bar. We changed a little bit around us. And then another bar started, and another one, and another one. But now, if you ask in the street, outside Brussels, you will have 99% of the people that will think that the trick is sweet. In Brussels, it might be 98 or 97. So it's not a lot, but it's better. So, so, so you're coming here to Belgium. You're working as uh, an employee in the bar. You're hearing these conversations. You're learning a little bit of yourself about beer. How do you get from that to 2006 when you then... Uh, the bar changes hands and you become a part of the team that owns the bar and manages it. So with my partner, which is... Uh, one of them is still my partner. That's Nassim Dessisi. No, Nassim is no longer my partner. I created him with Nassim, but Andy joined us like one year later and he's now still my partner. Andy Mengal. Yeah. He used to work at Pushenel Kelder, so he's way older in the beer business than I am. I think now he's probably... I think he's 20, 19 or 20 years old in the beer business. But uh, he, he came on more when you moved to Fontenas? No, we opened Fontenas for him. For him, in 2009? Yeah. So, but in 2006, when you're actually going to, you know, shape the vision and the direction of the bar more, 
and you, you, you become owner. Um, is that done as a kind of a friendly sale or through a bankruptcy or what's this, this the kind of the... So it's quite easy. Uh, the first owner uh, went bankrupt in 1992. He sold to one of his barmen. Uh, this barman uh, created uh, another bar and went bankrupt in, bankrupt in 2001. He sold to two of his barmen, La Porte Noire to Thierry and Amoud Alambic to Alexandre. And in 2006, Alexandre did a nest bankrupt and we took it over. So it was always from bus to barman and I think it will be the same. There is 95% chance that the bar will pass to one or several staff member, not now. But in 10, 15, 20 years, it will pass to a barman again. I will not sell to the industry, whatever is the price. So, but, but when, you, when you took it over, you obviously implemented some changes. Uh, we had the idea, at the, uh, before in France, I was working for uh, the cheese industry. And, uh, you were obviously working in mass pasteurized cheese. Yeah. Yeah. I was working for Lactalis, which is the second uh, milk company in France. Okay. So Camembert President, Roquefort Le Petit. I was working in the crafts brands, but still, it was a food industry. And uh, so I know I worked in supermarket before. I worked for the food industry, and it might be cheese, milk, uh, dog foods or beer, it's the same. So I know a little bit uh, about that kind of business. So in 2006, we already had the plan to be a little bit harder and start to remove a part of the food industry. And we were lucky because our previous owner, he had a contract with Margaret Duval and uh, and uh, so when we took it over, we had nothing to do with the previous owner. It was a bankruptcy, so we were just became new renter of the landlord. And did the contract stay in play? No, no because it was, it, he has a contract, the landlord fired him after the bankruptcy, so we just became... An independent? An independent bar. And Devil Morcat obviously came to speak to you. Yeah, speak is a nice word. So I cannot really translate it... But uh, we were summoned to Brendong, so we were uh, summoned. Sorry, summoned. Yeah, yeah. summoned to yeah. to Brendong. Yeah. And I don't remember the name of the guy, but I remember his words. He said, "We have ten lawyers working for us. Either you sign, or it's not kill. It would be we will slaughter you." It will be a butchery. So we left. And what was your reaction to, to hearing that? Well, we were happy. We like with uh, Nassim. We were. It's uh, David versus Goliath. So that's that, a kind of fun. Is, is that a, is that a kind of a role that you cherish that you enjoy? Ah no, I like the fight. Jean Pierre already told me. Jean's father told me that I like to fight. I, I like to fight, I like to change. 
And here is the opposition. It was really nice because I came back from Brendonk. I had a full terrace outside. I got with all the beers from Morgat Duval. I put all the Duval and dumped them in the sewer. So from now I said, okay, when I start the war, we're going to start the war. And they lost. I, I, um, I heard in an interview uh, Andy um, say one time that um, he said the war is finished and that the industrial breweries won the war, but he said we still have to fight and it's fun yeah. to fight. So I don't know if you agree. That probably me too. We, are, we have the same language. Yeah. So, so it, it, that's almost acknowledging that it's, it's, uh, it's, too, it's you know, they have the, the kind of the, the, the power, but that the, the fight is as important as anything else. Yes, it's important to fight. It's important to keep going. It's important to fight on what we believe. It's important to, to try to change the world. Do you really think that what happened the last two or three years in Europe, in French politics, in Belgian politics, or in the United States, do you really think that we have just have to say, okay, we lost? No, we have to fight a little bit every day. Small, it's, it's not an open war. I cannot win an open war. Abbe Inbev is making 10,000 times in benefits what I'm doing or in a year, my business in a year. I will not win a fight. Tomorrow they can put trucks in front of me and give free beers to all my customers. They can do it. They can lose millions, 10 millions, 100 millions. They don't give a shit about us because we are too small. But still, I think that we can fight. And I think that in the future, oh, they got the money. But we got for us patience and we got for us the image. So, for example, when they bought Del Borgo, we were not ready. We are still not ready because most of us at the moment, we have no time. But imagine when you have a thousand independent bar and breweries and a big industry is buying a small one. What will do a thousand Twitter accounts? A thousand by ten thousand Facebook follower. What happened when we just say one word? You can buy that company. Okay, but we are independent bar owner. We are independent shop owner. We are customers and we'll just say one word we will no longer promote nor sell nor drink your beers then for them it will be pointless to buy a brand to buy some image and being destroyed after but for them we need to we need to stick together we need to start a small crew and just saying very simple. You have the money. You can buy whatever you want. But we customers, we just in ignore your brands. Of course, at the beginning, we'll be a few hundreds, a few thousand, a few hundred thousand. And one day, for the food industry, not only for the beer, we said, okay, you are killing animals. You are using palm, palm oil for your production. Okay, use your palm oil. But now, I no longer buy your stuff. Of course, one will not change, 10 will not change, 
but a million will change. And nowadays, what happened 30 years ago, we lost the war against the industry in Belgium because we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have Twitter. Now, it's very easy. So you okay. see those as tools to kind of uh, call people to arms and kind of create that community? I think that we can create that community. We have to... The trouble is, honestly, in Europe we have another feeling. In the United States, people will be proud when someone is selling to the industry. Say, oh, congratulations, you are a billionaire. So, well done. Now you can relax and enjoy cocktails. In Europe, we always had another feeling. For us, it's a part of our culture. It's a part of us when... Uh, when you are destroying a lambic brewery because you are buying it and you are closing it and send the production elsewhere, you are destroying a part of the taste. You are destroying something, creativity. Del Borgo, now we have no creativity, will not bring anything for us. So it's just that we lost something. I mean, that all, those are values that, you know, it's clear underpin what you're doing here. Tell me a, a little bit more about the kind of um, the how you strive to serve poor beer in, in the best condition possible. Because you you have here your uh, you mentioned the hand pumps where you can pour lambic, but I presume have you tried pouring like English style cask ale? No. Uh, but you have the you have the shorter line runs. You have refrigerated beer. Um, I mean, tell me a little bit how you try to serve beer. Whether it's from bottle or keg, is I um, so to answer the first question, we never poured a traditional English cascade because I will need um, a cellarman. So, so you'd rather not do it if it wasn't done properly. Yeah. So um, I would have to learn, or I would have to 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 send someone to learn, and if you do it, it has to be tasted and when it's good it's good and you have to pour it within 12 24 hours and it's done otherwise it's really bad so I think that Belgian market is not ready for it no maybe because I skipped it five or six years ago I said no it's not possible to do it why because it won't be in a good condition and second we'll have to learn so we'll have to spend a lot of time which I will probably do the next coming year. But we cannot fight everywhere. All we the fought, fronts. We fought for Italian beers. We fought for Spanish beer. We fought for so French you're beer. you're not willing to fight for the English just yet? No, it's not. It's just uh, it, you need a lot of energy. So you need to make special Friday party and you make... You, uh, and so really, really get behind it and throw your weight yeah, on it. Yeah. Because it has to be... Yeah. So that's obviously, you're choosing not to pour it because it must, in your eyes, be poured in the best condition possible. That leads me on to the second part of the question. Talk to me about, you know, cooling the beer, your line control maintenance of, of, of you know, your cleaning regime and stuff. We, uh, yeah, from 2006, when we bought the bar, we traveled, visiting other countries, United States, Spain, Italy, uh, north of Europe and uh, we picked things a little bit everywhere 
in the United States, they were working a lot uh, with a lot of taps. So, because it's better, a bottling line is very expensive for a small brewery, so it's better to work with kegs. You will have a better price uh, on a keg than you will have on a bottle. So, but after, we were thinking about having good conditions, and we saw a lot of places at this time, in 2007, 8, now it's there was a lot of place with a lot of attention on the beer. But we said, okay, we have, one of our only tradition is the way we are pouring the beer. So we paid attention on how to pour the beer. And after, in the United States, I drink some very good beer in very bad condition. So I said, the key is the freshness. The key is the temperature. The key is to clean the line. Our job is to try to be as neutral as we can between the brewery and the final customer. So our tools have to be the best. Do you think that there are a lot of Belgian bars that aren't focusing on those things? 99% of the Belgian bars are allowed to run four beers of Abbey InBev, Heineken, Don't forget that we don't have, I'm not sure that we have 100 bar, independent bars in the country. So They're all brewery tied. Yeah. We have brewery contract. You are allowed to brew to get the pills, the white beer, and the Abbey beer. That's it. And sometimes, when you have four, you are allowed to have one of the beer offered by your supplier. If you don't buy, you will be fired. That's Belgian bar owners. So in Belgium, we don't have independent, uh, independent bars and pubs. Now, we have a couple of restaurants that are independent, but bars in Brussels, real bar, I would say six, seven maximum in a one million people city. So, but we tried to change the tools. So first we worked on classic Belgium system. And after visiting the United States several times, we started to work with a cold room. But we didn't want to work with nitro. We wanted to work on straight CO2. So we had to have extra short line to avoid to overcarbonate the beer. So that's why we created, uh, that's how we created our cold room, which is a blend of an American cold room and a tap fridge from Palm that was at about at the same created at the same time. But the local suppliers, they didn't believe. When we said we're going to run 40 beers, they said, no, it's not possible. When we said we want to work with NPM, they said, no, no, don't work with them. It's not working. Come on, it's working. So it's a blend of getting ideas from everywhere and adapting the idea to the Belgian market with always one key. It has to be fresh and we have to get higher temperature. The best temperature will be probably two or three degrees higher than what we are pouring for, uh, for the beer. But I won't be here to speak with you because we would be bankrupt by now. Why? Because if it's too warm, people will really taste the beer, enjoy it. But we also need serious drinker. And so a temperature about five degrees Celsius, five, six degrees Celsius is a good compromise between the flavor and uh, being able to drink a lot. Two degrees, which is a Belgian standard, one, two degrees is too cold. Eight or nine is slow drinkers. Here now, 
we have two different temperatures inside our cauldron. So one is nine for sour ale, Audebrun, sometimes Imperial Stouts, because it's a better temperature. Yeah. The rest of the cauldron is five. Yeah. So we have now two times. That cold room here in Saint-Gilles, Moudalambic original, is a little bit better, but it's one year old, the other one is seven. Yeah. And then the, the choice then with um, the food that you're offering. So you have kind of platters with a mix of uh, different meats and cheeses. Same idea. We are working only with raw milk cheeses, uh, sourdough bread, raw milk butter. Uh, now I just kicked out of the menu or lemon use for the lemonade so we have a new one organic one uh, biodynamic one from Yeda in Spain it's been four years I was looking for that lemon I asked in Sicilia south of France everywhere about organic lemon juice now we have real tea we have natural sulfide free wine we are trying to get everything at our menu as natural as local as we can So sometimes we cannot work with local stuff, but we will try to work with natural, organic farm uh, suppliers for the food and all our drinks. Now we are about 95% of the goal. We still have to work on the coffee. Yeah, last year you um, uh, increased capacity a little bit in regional Moudalambic yeah. here in Saint-Gilles. Um, was there any criticism or pushback on a change in the atmosphere or was everybody kind of see it as a natural consequence because the bar was a success? No, it was, uh, we are still in between but it was a very bad year um, I don't know, I will see in one or two years but we had to change uh, our tools were too old uh, and, uh, but the atmosphere changed but also The neighborhood changed. Our customer changed. In what way? Um, do you know New York? I know of it, yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. Have you heard about a, a suburb called Brooklyn? Yes. Yeah. Brooklyn 1980 and Brooklyn 2015 or 16 is not the same neighborhoods. Here we are in Singilis. It's uh, the artist area, artist district. Uh, It's very simple. In 20 years, I think an apartment is now 500% more expensive than it used to be. So we get other customers. Now we are getting people from the restaurants, people from the wine worlds, and they cannot go in an old, dirty, uh, old, dirty brown cafe. And I mean, what is kind of maybe across the two bars, or maybe it's a different grip, but what is the profile of someone who drinks in Mutherlambic? Or is uh, it is it so diverse that it's hard for you to say? Do you get a lot of tourists? No, Do you get a lot of beer people? It uh, depends. So we have a first distinction. It's a tourist. Downtown is a seat in the in the center. It's probably I would say 50-50, 50 local, 50 tourists. Here it's probably 95-5, local and 5% tourists. Uh, after our targets is probably 25-45. Of course we have younger, not under 18 normally, uh, and uh, people a little bit older. But most of the people are young. And would you say that most of your clientele are, have a beer education of some sort? 
are more and more, yeah. more and more. Some got uh, their beard education in other countries because Brussels is a very, uh, yeah, an international city, and some of them uh, got their education uh, drinking beers in our bar. Do you sir, do you have growler a growler system here? Yeah. So that was only introduced recently, right? Yeah, we had the idea, uh, and I, I s- because it's it's not a very Belgian concept. I don't know. It's not working at all at the moment. It's working, but but people aren't using it. No, but when we started with the hand pump and with the lambic, do you think that the first day people were crazy about it? Sometimes, for to understand what happened in 2009, we had. If I remember, I think it's 16 uh, beers of Cantillon on tap, okay? We had no customer. When I say no customer, is zero customers for about six hours. So the bar was Completely empty. empty yeah. We did Facebook. We spoke. It was empty. We got the first customer pushing the door and asking coffee at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Were you worried, though, at that time? Of course, I mean, were you? Maybe we should change change this. Maybe we should change the idea. Ah, no, 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 no. It's not working like that. If you cannot change. If you change, we we would pull left at the moment because people ask us, "Can I have a left?" No, I'm sorry, we don't have a left. Can I have a duval? No, I'm sorry, I don't have a duval. But if you want, I can propose you something else. At one point, you have to believe in what you are doing. As Nino did with the double X bitter, he believed in his beer. As Jean-Pierre Vanroy and Jean Vanroy and all the family did, as Armand de Belder did, they believed in what they were doing. But at the beginning, it's always hard. For the growler, I know that it will not work now. But I know that it's a part of our future. I know that in 5, 10, 15 years, a lot of places will have growlers and customers will just go like you're getting your milk directly from, from the co. So, because it's working elsewhere, it's working in the United States, it's just new. And for example, yeah, if some people from other countries hear that, they will be mad. One liter of goods in a growler is eight euro eighty for one liter. That's not that expensive. No. One liter of Colonel IPA is ten euro. One liter of Stars Bulba is seven euro. That's not that expensive for one liter. It's four glasses. But people at the moment they don't get it. So slowly, slowly, one day after the other one. But that's why also about the tools we have a grow lines that makes Contrapression on CO2, so to try to have... Spell oxygen and yeah. keep the quality of the beer for to slightly longer. Best. Yeah. It's, the goal is not to try to, to just throw it away. The goal is to say, okay, you, buy you can take this beer with you. And after, you can take it away. And if you have friends at home watching soccer, you can have a good beer. And it's more expensive, but not that expensive. Um, second beer... Cheers. Cheers. Jean, you've presented me with another beer. What's this one? Zino beer from uh, De La Seine. So, uh, yeah, Taras Bulba. When we changed the bar in 2006, 
Uh, we had before, when I was working as a barman, we had Maretsu Blonde, mm. Maretsu Triple, Guinness, Strongbow, Belle Pils, uh, Blanche de Stendonk, Lucifer. Uh, yeah, but not the, the uh, from another brewery that closed. Not that. the Hedankel, Lucifer. No, no. Yeah, the, the one before. Yeah, the one before. And, uh, and two beers of the month. After, we had Lambic from Cartillon, Taras Bulba, so the small sister, Guldenberg, that was the base of our sales. No lager, no pills, and uh, no white beer, wheat beer, because when people ask about the lager, I said, no, we are not good in Belgium at brewing lager. Drink a German one, they are way better than the North. So, Zino beer, Taras Bulba, it's very important. It's like Cantillon and Moudalambic are very close. We are very close to Brewery de la Seine. Even if they uh, increase the production a lot, uh, the beers are still really good. So you mentioned de la Seine, de Ranke, Cantillon, Verzat, Plogy, Cazot, um, jean de Nuit. You also mentioned the industry, as you call it. Uh, I presume you're referring to ABM Bev, these types of beers. Where, where, for you, where do people like the Belgian family brewers sit in the context of the Belgian beer world? Nowhere. It's a blend of everything. Really good one, and just the industries that are hiding behind the Belgian family brewer. So you have everything and nothing. So... You have no soul. So there's no point. It's like oral. Are, are you, are you, would you say that of, of all? Or is there any of, of them that you respect? I don't know. It's not about respect. You cannot blend everything. Are you saying that the, the use of the term Belgian family brewers is pointless? Yes, because you have people that are working for money and people that are real family brewers. So... They get the small one to, say, to give credibility, but the goal is to make huge business behind. So that's why I say... So as, like a, as an umbrella term, it's, uh, it's meaningless? For me, yeah. it's, uh, it's just another label. So then to take, it, to take the question in a different direction, um, those breweries that are um, uh, family-owned and that are perhaps more traditional, um, making beers, not changing a lot in what they're doing, that can be in a very positive way, as sometimes you might see it as negative. No, but that's the thing. You just said that are more traditional. They are not. Some of them are, like Dupont, for example. Dupont is a very good example. They raised the production now to 25,000 hectoliters. When Olivier started, it was 2,500 hectoliters. But they still have uh, uh, smaller uh, fermentation tanks. To, to let the yeast develop the specific flavor of Dupont. They are still re-fermenting their, their bottle, laying them down. They have a new bottling line for them. When you get at the brewery, it's still very friendly. It's only 20 or 25 people working there. So that's a real Belgian so it's, it's, family it's, it's, brewery. So for you, it's really about the, the, the values and the soul behind what you're doing. Yeah. It's about the soul, about the idea of the production, but a very small brewery, is the brewery is dedicated to his production, is dedicated to his beer. An industrial brewery is um, not the brewer, I would say the owner, is dedicated to profit. And 
profit and making good beers, it's not always good together. When I say profit, what we said before, I don't say that we have to lose money. Yes, when you, yeah, are you can be production. commercial, but it shouldn't but drive decisions based goal, on the beer. The goal is not to be the richest one. The goal is not to produce as fast as you can. The goal is not to produce in three or four days using the baddest ingredients because they are cheaper, using the baddest glasses, the green or the white glasses, because it's cheaper using using ink on your labels that are a drama for the pollution of a river. So that's two different things. If you ask Jean-Drain, Jean-Drenouille, yes, it's important for him to have local uh, local producer to 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 sell a good beer that is well done. If you ask Deblogie, it's the same thing. Said okay, it's not about a rush. We are trying to make a good beer. If you ask Nino, Nino has a brewery that is working like at the end of the 40s. It's very hard to work there. He's working with hops leaves. When you ask Gregory from uh, Rull, he still have open fermenters. When you enter there, the smell is beautiful. And he say, it's impossible to produce the beer in another factory because the way it is produced here is different. They are paying attention, but after Carlos from Aguillon, Jérôme from BFM, Bruno from Tocalmato, tons of brewers in Italy, in Spain, in France, in Belgium, in Holland, they are producing beers and they put their soul, their art. And if you ask them, why are you producing beer? 95% of them will tell you because I love producing beer. And if you ask them, I like the beer I produce. A brewer, normally, a good brewer should produce the beer he likes. If the beer is a triple, it's a triple. If it's a, for example, I'm not fan about beers from Samuel, from Stumelings. It's not my taste. But I'm working with them. Because, because you respect the way they do things. Ah, uh, yeah, come on. When they are drinking their own beers, they will drink 10 liters each. So they love what they are doing. And I respect it. They are not making it saying, okay, my goal is to be very rich within five or ten years, so beer is a good business, and I will produce beer. Those ones, you see them in a few weeks. So within that context, um, people doing what they love, caring about what they do, do you have any thoughts on um, Trappist breweries? Trappists are very famous. But again, Trappist has nothing to do with the quality. Well, so it's, it's, it's a designation of origin. It's where the beer has come yeah. from. It comes from a Trappist monastery, and there is... Uh, so is it, is it a similar um, way of thinking that some of them are making good beers and some of them that you, you respect less? No, no, no. It's, it's not... Uh, some of them are making business. After the Second World War, they, uh, you had a split in the Trappist world. You have... Rochefort and Westlitteran on one side and Chimay and Westmal on the other side. Chimay and Westmal, they did the mass production. So Chimay is the biggest production in the south part of the country and Westmal is as big as Chimay and Rochefort keep a reasonable production. And of course, Westlitteran did the same. So one said, we want to make business. The other part said, we are monks, we are not brewers, brewers. Our job is to pray, not to brew beers. So you had a split. 
Now it's more or less back to the business for everyone because it's... But are those, do you believe that those decisions are taken by monks in the main part and that the growth commercially is to fuel uh, money back to the community? It has been taken by monks. They decide, uh, they decide what they want to do with their... Uh, they decide what they want to do with their own breweries. So they are still uh, the leaders of their monastery. That's one of the one part of the Trappist monastery. And I don't know if I make my point clear about the Belgian family brewer. The trouble is blending the industry that wants to make money with a small one. That's also the case with Oral, so the Lambic Association. And the Lambic Association is the same. You cannot put after, yes, maybe it's a scene, but you cannot put Lindemans and Drifontainen on the same level. But do you understand why those producers have had to club together to um, try to uh, support or put forward the case for one style of beer? Or do you think Horal is also a meaningless uh, organization? It's meaningless, Horal. For me, it's meaningless. Because you have all the girls. I mean, so if you talk to some of the, guy, the, the guys that were leading the formation of Haral, uh, the guys that have chaired it, like Bone and the Belder, um, you know, they saw strength in numbers because this was a style that was at one stage not very popular or suffered from certain angles. I guess your yeah. argument is that... But would I have now credibility if I was wearing a T-shirt saying Budweiser is the best bee in the world? Will my words have sense now? No, there is no sense. Because if tomorrow McDonald's is producing one of their sandwich and saying this is a local meat, real meat, real bread, real tomato, real sauce, does it make McDonald's a healthy, slow food and a fair company? No, McDonald's will be still the same fucking restaurant that is destroying the nature, the agriculture and everything. So... If you make just for your credibility a small part, that doesn't give you the credibility. So either you are a traditional producer or you are not. So it's the same with InBev tomorrow. So bone is a very nice industry. It's a very nice lambic industry. Frank Bone did a lot for the lambic back in the end of the 70s and early 80s. But now I did visit his brewery a few months uh, ago because it's been 10 years I haven't visited it I had a great tour with Frank he's a nice guy at the end I said Frank I really thank you for the visit you are running a very nice uh, lambic industry brewery but we cannot work together but it's a very nice what was guy. his response to something like that he said I, he understands he understand but I said it's the beers are good it's quite good the way he's doing is beautiful but it's not what I want to do for the Lambic I want to work with the Cam I want to work with Tilkin I want to work with the Belder I want to work with Quintillon I want to work with Thomas Kreif in Holland I want to work with Bokereider I want to work with small people and even if I admit that it's very nice industry but it's not the word I want to defend and protect. And on Oral, they blended everything, so they lose their credibility. Now there is a new association that makes them Oral. They are really pissed off. It's Method Goose, which is way more clever, way more strict, and it comes from the United States. It's spearheaded by Jester King, I think, and those yeah. guys. Yeah, Jester King 
Alagash, uh, probably Ilfarmstel, none of them so, are behind. Sticking with Belgium, though, we've talked kind of about the more industrial guys. We've talked about Belgian family brewers, however meaningless that may be. We've talked about Haral. We've talked about um, the Trappists. Um, I kind of guess another part that we're forgetting to mention is um, beer firmas, contract brewers, and gypsy brewers. Um, I think you've been fairly outspoken in the past about your thoughts on that. Um, would you would you see a distinction be- between somebody who goes into a facility and brews the beer themselves, and people that um, have a, a brewery brew a beer under a contract for them? Of course, there is a difference. If you look at uh, at our own menu, we have a creek made especially for us by Kent Hill. We have the Band of Brothers made by De La Seine. I will never say that I'm a brewer or beer firm. I just ask brewers to brew something for us. That doesn't make me a brewer. If you go to the supermarket and you buy your pre-made food or to the traiteur catering and you ask your, um, uh, you buy your food, does it make you a chef? No, that's not. So now, if you ask a restaurant, can I use your kitchen for one day to make a one evening restaurant? Then you will be a chef. If you go to a brewery like the people going to the rank, if you get there, Bernard from De La Seine did it for one year and a half. Get at the brewery at five or six o'clock in the morning, work the entire day, produce the beer, and renting the brewery. Okay, then you are a brewer. If you just send an email saying, okay, I would like to have uh, uh, 10 different, uh, let's say 17 or 18 different IPA, one with Citra, one with Simcoe, one, and you ask uh, Dick Notes to do it, it doesn't make you a brewer. And after you said, okay, make one with American Oak, another one. But do you have a problem with that? Someone doing that? I don't have a problem, but never invite them in a beer festival, never call yourself a brewer, never pretend you so are a brewer, you are a beer designer. Is it the more to do with the fact that these people are not being honest rather than that they're actually having some, somebody brew it for them? I think it hurts the smaller brewery because when you are... So you're, you're brewery, championing them, you're kind of supporting them in your um, in your stance against beer firms yes i think that beer firms are really good for the creativity because it's very easy if you want we get a computer and we can create 20 beers within an hour together okay but when a brewer is doing it, he's spending time when it's a small brewer. He's spending time to brew it. So he has no time for the marketing, no time to go to the bars, no time to do so. It's not really fair. So I don't mind. But is, is there a place for it? Or do you think it should be... It should no, no. I don't mind if they are doing it. They might, you might have a place for them. But then, if you are going to a beer festival, you said, we are not a brewery. We are a commercial company that asking other producers to produce beer. That's what you are. So 
tells the truth to your customer. What happened in Belgium is a lot of people are not telling the truth. And now I will say something even further. You are now a young brewer, but you don't have money. And you said, okay, I will work with the proof. I will ask him. I created a small badge in my cellar and I'm getting 60 electroliters to get a little bit money to get my first small vessel. Okay, I have no problem. But within six months, one year, do it. I prefer someone like Snoomelinks, No Science, working in two, 300 liters, 400 liters, and trying to do it themselves that someone bring 10 or 15,000 in a other beer company, but on the label it's written Brasserie von Pieperseel, blah, 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 blah. It's on the beer festival, you saw them. And again, most people said, ah, but a beer is a beer. Yes and no. You have something behind. One is a commercial company and the other one is a brewer. If we have only commercial company tomorrow, then we'll have one producer. And even if that producer is a good one, like the proof, then all the beers will have the De Proof taste because all the beers will be brewed on the same vessel. All the beers will be brewed by the same team. So instead of having 240 or 250 craft breweries in Belgium, we'll have one brewery producing 2,000 different beers. And you will lose something. It's, I mean, it, for me, when I'm talking to you, it all comes down to back to the soul for you. That each beer should have its own soul, that have its own creativity, but the person that's invested themselves in the production of that beer. Yes, because you have a touch. When you are familiar with a beer, when you taste a beer, you have a touch. You have a, the brewer, the way he's brewing is very important. Every, that's what is magic with the beer. Even if tomorrow you gave the same recipe, if I can say recipe, to 10 different brewers, you will have normally 10 different beers. Because yeah, they will do their small touch. So, well, the small trick. It's like a chef. Give t- 10 chicken, same amount of butter to 10 chefs. And you will have 10 different chickens. Because every chef has his own way. Brewing is like cooking. Everyone has his own way, his own path. After what is crazy now and what is amazing with the new beer scene and the craft beer is the diversity. Jean, do you love what you do? No, not at all. Well, I, I, I think that's a lie. And I, I want to say thanks very much for uh, yeah. letting us come and chat to you. And... Uh, Santé. Santé. And best of luck with uh, everything in the middle of messy. It was a little bit messy, but it's late in the evening. Ching, ching. Thanks for listening, folks. If you want to hear more, why not subscribe to the podcast? And if you liked it, we'd love it if you left a review on iTunes. If there's someone you know you think would enjoy it, please do recommend it to them. And if you want to keep up with our stories, resources and projects on Belgian beer and Belgian chocolate, Sign up for our email updates on belgiansmack.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.